and this is Talking Pictures, our weekly review of movies and film. I'm Hollis Monroe, joining me this morning with a film that he has called Challenging, Mesmerizing, and Disturbing. Our resident film guru, Professor Film Encyclopedia Brown. Hello out there. <laughs> and joining us with a true classic from the Masterpiece Theater Vault, with toga in hand and plotting in mind, is the remarkable Mr. Ron Atkins. Hail Caesar. And we will start film with your challenging, mesmerizing, and disturbing film. Yes, very much so. Skinnamarink. It's a Canadian film uh, released uh, just around the turn of this year. Mesmerizing, uh, to say the least. Uh, it's uh, written, directed, and edited by Kyle Edward Ball. And uh, ostensibly, the plot of this story is of uh, two little kids who wake up and discover that basically their father has disappeared. We're not sure about the mother. Uh, and the windows and the exterior doors to where they live have vanished. So they're trapped inside of this house. And I guess it's based on a nightmare that uh, Ball had uh, frequently had. And as a matter of fact, he finds it a common nightmare that a lot of people have. He has a, mm. uh, a YouTube channel called Bite Size Nightmares, where he asks people to post their nightmares and make videos about their nightmares and so mm. on. And this was a very common one of uh, waking up as a child and being alone, which you can understand, the sense of abandonment and so on. Uh, this film belongs to a, a particular type of style of filmmaking called analog horror. Analog horror, uh, not to be confused with hauntology that we find more in England, uh, uses low-grade video, uh, harsh, obscure sounds, sounds that are muffled, things that you don't quite understand. Uh, it uses low to natural light, high, heavily pixelated uh, at, all through. Uh, the look uh, also really kind of harkens to a cheap VHS look, which is something that I enjoy, okay? Something on my television show, I often try to mimic the old VHS yeah. look with the artifacting and so on. Mm -hmm. Digital cleans things up way too much. It <laughs> slicks it up. Uh, I like the look of the grunge. I like the look of what scratches on film used to do, mm -hmm. and I like what VHS does also. So it grabs that. So there's a sense of nostalgia for older technologies and an older time. This film is... Uh, set in 1995. Uh, it, it's okay. I say this is what the film is about. Okay, mm -hmm. uh, but really, the action of the film mostly, almost all of it, takes place out of frame. Hmm. What you have is uh, shots of uh, ceilings, shots of Legos. Now, Legos are big in this. Okay, mm. which I remember well at that time period too. Walking oh, yeah. on them, and that's another <laughs> horror. Okay, uh, but the 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 uh, the it shot very often very low angle ceilings, angles, uh, just remarkable looking film. But sometimes it's just a shot of a wall that you're looking at, and the pixelation starts. to, If you ever stare at an image for a long period of time, and pixelations, it starts. It becomes things in and of itself. Very much like if you watch sort of the hand-drawn, uh, painted films of Stan Brakhage, okay. where you basically are, well, when you watch Stan Brakhage films, you basically should not blink. I mean, you got to stare, right? And what that creates that sort of a, uh, uh, what, uh, uh, I myth loop type of uh, mentality for it. Likewise, this is a film, I don't know if you know Chantel Ackerman's Hotel Monterey which was a documentary about the Hotel Monterey, which is basically 
shots of the architecture of that place, long takes, very few people involved or shown at all. It is just sort of, uh, what, uh, non-anthropomorphic. It's as if the building is speaking itself. Mm-hmm. And what you have here, Billy, is that these children are, okay, they are sort of, I don't know, the, the architecture, the house, that, that's more important in this film. Now, there's a lot of stuff that happens in this film, but it all happens off-frame. You have to kind of conjecture and kind of think like, whoa, you know, what happened there around the corner? What is that voice that keeps talking that sometimes you hear? Now, it's interesting. Sometimes it's subtitled. Sometimes not. Uh, sometimes he, like he was saying, I was playing with subtitles. At times, uh, I would want you to kind of guess what was being said, so I'm not going to translate it for you. It's a very challenging film in that sense. Nightmare quality, obscure images, which I like, okay, uh, quite a bit. Odd shapes in the dark, very structural. Uh, if you've seen a film, uh, Michael Snow's Wavelength, which also, in 1967, it's a long zoom across the room, a 45-minute film, uh, one take, though it's a series of zooms uh, to pretend like it's one zoom. The action takes place outside of the frame. And there are things that occur in Wavelength, and here as well. And he said that was a major influence on him, was the Michael Snow film, uh, as well as uh, Ackerman, as well as Brackage, and as well as uh, Maya Darren and uh, uh, Lynch, David Lynch. But you see, some of his shorts have that hallmark. It's not for everybody, certainly. Uh, it, it really tests your uh, patience at times. Uh, if you're streaming it, don't fast forward uh, because really the monotony of it is a part of the nightmare. The duration of having to sit through that hell of nothing and wondering what's going on. In some ways, it reminds me of the better parts of a paranormal activity films. Okay. Where you get a shot of a kitchen, you know, a surveillance type of shot, and then nothing happens. But sometimes it does. A, a drawer will open up or something like that. You get that here. Is something going to happen? No. Is something going to happen? Maybe. What was it? So you don't know. And uh, you just got to really pace yourself. And really, if you're watching at home, create a, a, a condition of total black so that you don't have any other light. That's one of the problems in movie theaters today is there's too much light in those places. Here, you can do that at home. Turn, Close all your windows. Whoop, get rid of your windows and your doors and <laughs> uh, get ready for a skinnamarink. Wow. I love you or not. You be the judge. All right. Thank wow. you very much. Ron. Tell us about I, Claudius. I, Claudius, the 1975 BBC production, um, was groundbreaking in Britain. And then when it hit, it was one of the, in the United States, it was one of the founding films of Masterpiece Theater. And I first saw it when I was, uh, I would have been about 10 years old, maybe, thereabouts. And I was fascinated because it had naked Romans running around. Of course, (laughs) I was 10 years old. But then again, I watched it you know, about another five, six years later and realized, hey, this is really good. Um, the reason I'm bringing it up is because um, they finally, a couple of the uh, lead actors had died and their estates were kind of arguing over how much money they were going to get if they put it on streaming services. So they finally started to work that stuff out. So now you can find it on BritBox and BBC America and also the PBS Passport streaming service as well. You can also still buy the uh, DVD or Blu-ray set, which is really cool. 
because it has all the existing footage of the 1930s-ish film with Charles Lawton as Claudius. Oh. There's not a whole lot, but there's enough to kind of get a feel of what they were going for on that. And that's kind of cool because Rob, uh, Robert Graves, the guy who wrote the books, was still alive at the time. So anyway, this one came out in 1975. It's a drama about the lives and the rises and falls and machinations of the first five emperors of Rome, starting with Augustus, and that's the Julio-Claudian family. Claudius, who becomes the fourth emperor, there's no spoilers if you know history, um, <laughs> who has ridiculed all of his life for his stutter and his limp, he narrates the series in flashback. It starts with him as a very old man writing down his memoirs. And then it flashes to the very beginning before he was even born with Augustus. And the whole thing follows the life of the Roman family. You know, all its machinations, all of its plots, all of its murders and things like that. Now, the one thing I thought was really cool was that, ironically, the the, the true plot line of the series, or the main character, isn't Claudius for most of it. It's Tiberius, mm -hmm. the second emperor. And it starts with him as the adopted son of Augustus. And now he doesn't want to be emperor, but his mother, L Livia, wants him to be emperor. So she's systematically killing off everybody you know, that Poisoning. could be a potential heir. He finally becomes emperor. He's a horrible emperor and eventually dies. And that is when Claudius steps in and becomes a major character, and, which I think is wonderful writing. Um, but we follow him and we realize what a pathetic character he is, what you know, a sympathetic character he is through the whole thing. And the, the cool thing that I really pick up on is that it's mentioned many times in Claudius's early life, is that the only reason he wasn't thrown in the Tiber when he was born was because his mother took pity on him. And for the rest of his life, the only reason he survives is because everybody thinks he's an idiot. Mm -hmm. And that plays out at the very end, where at the very end of his life, you, know, you finally realize that one by one, every member of his family is gone and he is alone. He's the only surviving member except for his niece, which he winds up marrying, who is the sister of Caligula. Now there's a marriage. Yeah. Um, if you're not a fan of British dramas or stories about corrupt Romans, you know, watch it for the cast because I would argue this is one of the most talented casts ever assembled. I think basically they went to a meeting of the Royal Shakespeare and said, hey, you guys want to do a movie? And yeah. they all just kind of got them. Picture this, Derek Jacobi as Claudius, brilliant, absolutely wonderful. And Phil, like you said, he becomes Claudius. He is Claudius. Uh, Dame Sean Phillips as Livia, George Baker as Tiberius, John Hurt as Caligula, Brian Blessed as Augustus, Patrick Stewart as Sejanus, the man who's kind of the power behind Tiberius's reign, Margaret Tyzek as Antonia, Patricia Quinn as Lavilla, who you might recognize is Magenta in the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yes. And John Reese davies as Macro, the man who actually winds up killing Tiberius so Caligula can take the throne. It's one of those series that you can easily, easily binge watch and not realize you're binge watching. You get so wrapped up in it that you just want to go on to the next one. So you just, you know, reflexively hit the click to next one. Get wrapped up in the plot. You're going to get wrapped up in the stargazing. And you're just going to keep going by reflex. It's a wonderful, it's 13 episodes, but you can watch it in a whole day and 
you know, get off your couch, slack jawed, and wondering why or wondering if Romans really did speak with British accents. <laughs> you know, you got to wonder. I, Claudius, 1975. You can find it on multiple platforms now. All right. Thank you very much. Folks, we want to know what you're watching. Tell us what you're giving thumbs up or thumbs down. Our email address is talkingpicks at kcck.org.